can see from there, we, we be, we're doing a series, whether this is your first time, you're, you're kind of visiting us, uh, or you've been coming for the last few weeks, we've been doing a, a series called Being With Jesus. This idea that as individuals, as a church, we want to be people that are with Jesus. Because when we're with Jesus, kind of Jesus rubs, on, rubs off on us, affects us, influences, changes us. And that's what we want to rub off and influence the people. And again, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've seen the title and you've seen the sunflower. But I kind of realize, having heard the other people speak, you might be looking at there thinking, why is there that sunflower? If you were here three or four weeks ago and you heard me speaking, you'd understand why uh, there's a sunflower picture. But for those who weren't there, or just as a refresher, I just want to remind us why being with Jesus is linked to this idea of a, a sunflower. A number of weeks ago, I was sharing and uh, just challenging us that I felt God was calling us individually and corporately as followers of Jesus to be like a sunflower. You know, sunflowers are, are, are amazing. Sunflowers are flowers which follow the sun throughout the day. And it doesn't matter whether it's cloudy or it's sunny, they will do that. And you know, when I first heard that, I thought, wow, that's amazing. You know, that's what I want for us. That's what we want for us as a church. That would be people that pursue the sun, pursue the presence of God. No matter what the conditions are in our lives. I don't know what's happening in your life, what your summer has been like so far. It might be bright and sunny. I don't mean physically. I mean just in relation to what's happening. It might have just been cloudy. It might, maybe it's been sunny days and cloudy days. But whatever is happening, our posture, our desire is to pursue God's presence to be going after him and the other thing I shared and the reason why we're doing this series about sunflowers and we keep getting this image and I think you've got one more week having this kind of being with Jesus and a, a sunflower is that sunflowers are amazing because unlike other flowers they do, they do not close at night they stay open instead they turn towards the east to seemingly await the sunrise and, you know, when I first heard that, and I shared that a few weeks ago, it just blew my mind. Because it's like, that's what we want as individuals, as followers of Jesus. That's what we want as a church that's seeking to follow Jesus. We want to have that kind of attitude, that posture, that desire that we say, God, we are awaiting you because we want more of you. That's our, our yearning. And so when I shared that uh, a few weeks ago, I'm Nigel and Joe on Reflection. So I think we need to press into that. And so we're going to do a series over the summer that kind of builds upon that. Being with Jesus, how can we help us be, to put it in another way, better sunflowers? To be what we are meant to be and press into that. And so I'm just going to share um, this morning about one of those aspects of being like a sunflower, of being with Jesus, and that is the pursuit of his presence. That desire to be with him. To encounter God. If you read the Bible, it's an amazing book and it's, it's full of stories. And one thing I love about the Bible is every story is an invitation. Every story you read in the Bible is an invitation to enter into that story and find that reality outworking itself in your life. And when we encounter God, when we encounter his presence, we're never the same again. Encountering God is more than just getting a, a knowledge, a, a level of information in our heads. It's encountering him on a deep level. You see, many people know 
about God. Many people uh, could maybe expound and give you different truths and stories from the Bible. But that's not enough because the Bible is written as an invitation. Will we enter into those stories? Will we be changed? And we need it for ourselves and we need it for the communities we, need, we live in. Because I don't know about you, but as I, as I go around uh, my local community, and it's been said a few times, I do a lot of work uh, overseas amongst Muslims, and it doesn't really matter where I go. There's that desperate need for people to encounter the reality of God, the peace, the love, the transformation that he is and that he carries. And so we're going to look at some examples from the Bible and see what can we learn from their lives as we seek to grow in this level. And so one of the first people I want to talk about is somebody called Obed-Edom. I don't know if you know him, you might know the story. You find the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. And I'm going to just tell you the, 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 the story of it. It might be a story that you are familiar with. It might be a story that is totally new to you. I remember when I first heard this story Again, a story I was brought up with as a child, but I read it recently uh, in a book by a guy called B- Pete Gregg, which I draw a lot of his material from. And um, I remember showing my wife, I go, oh, there's this amazing guy in the Bible called Obed, Obed I can't remember his surname. And uh, my wife, Katie, goes, Obed Edom, because uh, she'd named one of her teddy bears after him. I was like, who names a teddy bear? Obed Edom. It's an amazing wife I'm married to. But even if you haven't heard of him, he kind of photobombs the story of David a number of times, and then he disappears. And this particular story in 2 Samuel, um, the Ark of the Covenant, which was kind of like the visible representation of God's presence. It was kind of like a box-like structure with two poles that they carried. And um, David had decided that for too long... Uh, this had kind of been in a, a tent. And he wanted to bring it to Jerusalem, to his capital place. He wanted to give it the honor and the, uh, the prominence that he thought it deserved. And this Ark of the Covenant, which was the visible representation of God's presence and all that that signified, was on the way to Jerusalem. And it kind of stumbled. And this guy called Uzziah reached out and he touched it and he died. Now, everybody was really scared because it's like, oh my goodness, the presence of God, we have died. What are we going to do about it? So David gives this order and says, let's abort this. Let's just approach the person who lives closest to where this Ark of the Covenant is and say, let's just plonk it there and figure out what we're going to do. I don't know about you, but um, it must be one of the weirdest, extraordinary. I can just imagine this guy, Obed Eden, is in his house. He gets a knock on the door and um, they say to him, I'm just going to paraphrase it, use a bit of imagination. Um, got this Ark of the Covenant. Can we, just, um, can we just put it in your house? I mean, actually, that, yeah, I've, I've lived in the Middle East for a long time. They're not large houses. I mean, this thing's going to take up a good bit of your house. And I don't know what he's going through his mind. You know, you've got this Ark of the Covenant. He's, you know, he's heard that this guy, Uzziah, has touched it and died. And I don't know about you, I have children in my house, and some of them are a bit younger, and particularly when I go to different places, I keep telling them, don't touch that. And you're like, you really don't want to touch that. Uh, you know, serious consequences. I don't know if he was kind of like, scared? Concerned? I don't know what was going through his mind, this idea of having the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. But I wonder if he began to notice things. Maybe began to notice that when he had this presence, this Ark of the Covenant in his house, 
there seemed to be more laughter and joy in his family. There was more intimacy with his wife. The children seemed to be more affectionate towards each other, and they seemed to be thriving and more healthy. Suddenly, neighbors started coming and visiting more than they normally did because they just enjoyed. They just, they just enjoyed coming to your house. There was something about your house that was different to what it used to be, to be like. They just enjoyed the peace and the joy, the joy and the peace that they encountered when they came to your house. Arguments seem to solve more quickly. I don't know. I'm kind of just imagining, knowing what I know about the presence of God, how that must affect this house. But one thing we know for sure from the, from the passage is that because the Ark of the Covenant was there, God blessed over Eden's business. It prospered so much that David heard about it. I mean, that's got to be quite impressive. Here's David, the richest man around at that time. He's got wealth and riches. But he hears about something that's happening in the life of that person. You've got to be significantly blessed for the king to feel like he's missing out. And so David's like, I, I want, I'm hearing about all this amazing stuff. I want this. I want that presence. I want that blessing I'm hearing about happening in Ober Eden's family. And I want to see that in my family. So he gets moved, he gets uh, excited and he brings it. Actually, he gets so excited if you read later on in the story there in 2 Samuel that he kind of dances in complete abandonment in his underwear. I mean, that, that's got to be quite impressive. I'm not going to demonstrate it. And <laughs> um, which many of you will be relieved about. And kind of the story moves on. I kind of knew that story, but Obed Eden's kind of five minutes of fame hasn't finished. Because then he begins to pop up again and again through scripture. First as a temple porter. Then we read a bit later on in some of the books after Samuel called Chronicles. We discover that he's a singer. And then lastly, we find he's a treasurer in the temple. If this is the same person, one may well wonder why a, success, a successful businessman would take a relatively humble job as a porter. And then as a musician, and I guess a progress, be a temple treasurer. We can't know for sure, but it's reasonable to guess that he'd fallen in love with the presence of God. He had encountered something when the Ark of the Covenant was at his house, and it's like, I want to do everything possible to keep pursuing that and being close to the presence. The only common theme between his three roles is that they all orbited around the Ark of the Covenant, the visible manifestation of God's presence. Having experienced the proximity of that, he knew that nothing else and nowhere else could be as satisfying. He didn't really care whether he was a musician, a singer, or a humble porter. He would do anything to get close to that presence of God. And as I was reading that story and hearing his story, like I said, it's an invitation. And as I hear that story, it's an invitation to me. Am I that hungry for the presence of God? He had to rearrange his life to be able to do that. Am I willing to rearrange my life? Am I willing to change? How hungry I am. Some of that hunger is reflected in a, 
a psalm written by somebody else. One of the sons of Korah is working today. Yeah, brilliant. Psalm 84. And uh, it's a well-known psalm. And it says, you know, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever praising you and though he didn't write it I could see over Eden kind of finding an echo of his heart in that psalm how lovely is your presence my soul yearns for it it faints for it has that desire for it and that's what we want in our lives that's what we want in this this church that's what it means about being with Jesus to turn aside and to pursue him as you hear me talking you might think you never encountered God but every moment is an invitation and is an opportunity to encounter him. There's another story in the Bible of somebody else who encountered God. It was somebody called Moses. And in that story, Moses was up on a kind of hill looking after his sheep. And a, and a bush starts to burn. And Moses turns aside. And as he turns aside to that bush, God speaks to him here's somebody else in the bible this is another story that's an invitation wherever you are whatever life you're living there's those moments when we have what we'd call a burning bush experience where god is inviting us to turn and to respond it was only as moses turned that god spoke to him people often say i want to hear god speak to me and there are seasons where it seems to be when he's quiet. But I know one thing for sure that will help us as we seek to hear his voice. Is that turning aside? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? What does turning aside look like? I know for me it's been quite hard. We've, the summer for me has been incredibly busy. I've been away. I've had a lot, a lot more work than normal. Also, we've got some work happening on our house. You know, and the, just the whole day when we're at a house, if it's not, you know, the, the dirt and the grime is bang, 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 bang. It's not the most conducive environment to kind of turning aside and pressing God, but just having to just seek and choose those moments. It might be the kind of one or two minutes quiet you get as you go to the toilet and shut the door. It might be just that moment you wake up just before the, the builder, you know, rings at 7, 7.30 to start his work. Whatever it is, what it looks like, we have to carve out that time. Because when you encounter his presence, everything changes. So you can know lots of stuff. You know, I met lots of Muslims in my life, not surprisingly, in my work. And in some ways they know a lot about Jesus. But they haven't encountered Jesus. My grandma went to church all her life and, um, and she knew an incredible amount of information but it wasn't until nearly before she died somebody challenged her and said do you know Jesus she knew all about Jesus and then well into her 80s maybe even 90s that's when she began that's when she encountered God she'd encountered the knowledge before and that might be a situation that some of you are in here 
Um, this morning, as I look around, there's a number of you I don't recognize, and it's great to have you here. And maybe you've been going to church for a long time, and you know a lot of stories, but when I've been talking about encountering God and the pursuit of God, you kind of, that sounds, yeah, that does, it doesn't reflect true in your life. And maybe that's the moment. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning and saying to you, and you've put your name in the gap and saying, hey, you know about me. You heard about me. You want to follow me. And if that's you, this is a great morning to do it. And all you need to say is yes. You say, yes, God, I want you. I want to follow you. I want to have that relationship with you. I've heard your invitation and I want that invitation to be a reality in my life. Maybe some of you have been following Jesus for quite a while. And again, that invitation it happens every day in the strangest moments. You know, God is everywhere and he can invite us. He can invite you as you drive in the car. He can invite you as you fill in the dishwasher. He can invite you when you're in the toilet. It doesn't matter where you are. When we hear our voice, and this is my challenge to myself, and this has been the challenge we're throwing out to the church, is that we will respond faster and quicker to that voice. Because we want to change the world. As you look at the people, and I love reading autobiographies, biographies, my children will know because I read them to them as they get older at night. And um, I'm always looking for a good one for the summer holidays. Uh, or just people that have pursued the presence of God. And without ex- exception or exaggeration, the prevailing passion and purpose of all those who pursued God over the years, those people have done some amazing things in their life, founded great works, dealt with great injustices in the world, Stayed in the UK, gone abroad, has always been their all-consuming passion and desire for the presence of God. That yearning for him. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? It's a verse in James 4, verses 7 to 8. It says, draw near to me. God's saying, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Again, if you've been around church, there's quite a well-known verse. But, you know, as somebody that, if you know me, I like to reflect and I like to ask questions. And these are some of the questions I've been asking myself. What does it mean to draw near to God? What does that mean for us as a church? It's something we're, we're thinking about in this season as we look into the, uh, the autumn term. What does it mean for me? Even as I'm speaking, just be asking God, what, what does that look like? And what's it going to cost? What's going to affect us? You see, it's more than just a verbal desire. Saying, I want to draw near to you. We've sung songs this morning about we want to draw near you know, to God. We want to be closer to him. And that's great. And I was singing those songs as well. But the challenge to me and the challenge to us is, what does that look like in reality? How much do I want it? Involves action. Again, if you were here uh, a few weeks ago, I, I, um, I was giving out £10 notes. We don't always do that in, in church. Um, so I don't think if you come every week, you get £10. Note. I'm not going to do the illustration again. But um, when I was speaking, I had a £10 note, and I said, you know, who wanted it? And um, a lot of people put their hands up and said, I want it. Uh, or people yelled out, I want it. But eventually, both in the morning and the evening service, somebody eventually came up and ran and got it. And what, and what I was trying to convey through that illustration is... It's more than just verbal assent. There has to be action. It's more than just hearing stories about God's presence. 
a bit like over Eden, there had to be a change in his life. How much do we want it? How hungry are we? Funny enough, I, I, was, I was speaking last week at a conference for people that work amongst Muslims. It's about 2,000 of us. And um, I was doing a seminar, not speaking to that amount. And uh, I had 10 euros, because that fitted, because we were in, in Europe. And, um, and I did the, the same illustration. It was nuts. People were running down the side. My favorite was, um, was a lot closer, was down below. And there's this lady two rows behind. She just threw the chairs away, threw herself at this big guy, rugby tackled him. He fell down. He knocked the, I had a lectern a bit similar to this. And he knocked my notes everywhere. And the, and the guy who got the, the 10 euros, I was thinking, I don't, I'm not that desperate for that 10 euros. He said to the lady, I think you want this more than I do. And he gave it to her. And I thought, you know, how much, how hungry am I? I got that invitation. Is it an invitation to put on the side? Oh, that's nice. Or is it an invitation that affects the way that I do and live our lives? And so my first challenge is to us is to pursue his presence. Because we need that. You know, Moses in the Old Testament, he had this phrase. He said, unless your spirit goes with us, we have nothing. Unless we have the Spirit of God, unless that's the core being of who we are as followers of Jesus, then we've got nothing. Wherever we are at this point, maybe some of you feel that you're quite passionate after God. Maybe some of you feel a bit like me because I've had such a busy summer and that's, that's my choice, my, my responsibility. I'm kind of like, God, I want to be more here. I want to be more like a sunflower. Wherever you are on your journey, we have a choice this morning. What are we going to do? We also want it and desire it because we do want to affect our community. Again, if you're a visitor, we, we often say in this church that one of our desires is to lead our communities into life. And wherever you come from, that's fantastic. But wherever you are, God has put you there for a season and a reason to bring that community into life. And that's another reason why we need the presence of God in us and leaking through us. Because it affects things. There's a great story in Mark chapter 2. And um, I'm going to read it. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it lower the mat the paralyzed man was lying on when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves why does this fellow talk like that he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is it easier to say, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has a fortune on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. 
here were some people, and they knew that if these four people, if they could put, if they could somehow get their friend into the presence of Jesus, that this person's life would never be the same again. And they were right. Because this person, as, as they made that effort, this person's life was changed. He was forgiven. He was healed. He was restored. And that's the other reason why we want to talk about the presence of God and pressing into the presence of God. Because not only as followers of Jesus, if you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus, do we want it for ourselves, but it's something that we want to bring our friends, our communities into it. And what is that going to look like? You know, it was, a, it was a cost to them. Again, I, I've been in the Middle East and some of the more rural areas like the Delta and Egypt. And the roofs are pretty much made the same way as they've been made a couple of thousand years ago. It, t- it takes a little bit of effort. Yeah, you can break through the roof. But it's not one of these things like you just get your screwdriver out and take the roof off. It involved a bit of digging. It involved a bit of embarrassment. You know, people be like, what are you doing? There's going to be a cost. You know, there's no insurance in those days. Who was going to pay for that roof again? How much do we want to bring our friends, our communities, into that? I think part of it is when we grasp afresh the power of his presence. Because in the presence of God, thoughts are challenged. Sin is forgiven. Healing is released. Life is restored. New identity is given. New purpose. This is the good news of who Jesus is. You know, we sang that great song, you know, spirit break out, heaven come down, break our walls down. What would that look like? Have you ever wondered? Maybe it's just me. I, I like to think a lot, you know, and just kind of reflect on what sometimes we're singing. I don't know, but I got a little bit of a taste last week when I was at this um, conference. As part of it, we were running a 24-7 prayer room, meaning that we prayed through the day and through the night. And uh, so I was a little bit involved in that, uh, but I hadn't done very much in the late evening and night because I was just trying to pace myself because I was doing a whole load of different things. But I kind of heard that um, particularly the, the night slots, which were generally run by the youth, and so the youth would normally start praying from 10 and go to 4 o'clock in the morning, were particularly um, more exciting and, and better attended. And, uh, and so near the end of the week, I thought, I want to go along. I thought I'd just do a half an hour and get a late night, go to bed about 11, 11-ish, because I like to go to bed early. I'm an early-to-bed person. And um, I kind of got a little bit of indication what I was talking about. I, I turned up about quarter past and t- and 10, and um, all these youth, were just, they were just crying out to God. They were just saying, God, just, just you know, forgive us, clean us, heal us, restore our, our, our lives. And it was just, it was just such, such a weeping. There And then God began to touch things. They began to pray for different Muslim countries. And they were just crying over these countries. And I was kind of just sat there slightly embarrassed because I was thinking, like, oh, God, break my heart like that. You're breaking their hearts. And, so, and, and also just like, what a privileged position to be just watching this. And then it was about a quarter to 11. I was just about to go. I said, well, I've got to get my early night. And, uh, and the lady just leading the worship in this kind of prayer time where worship and prayer just mingles. And she just said, God's, God's going to turn up. God's turning up now. And he did. And, uh, and the presence of God was there already. The presence of God is here. But when I talk about presence of God, sometimes it comes in degrees and power. Sometimes you're more aware of it than other times. And um, people just started to kind of 
cry out even louder. Some people started to laugh. Some people uh, started shaking. People didn't, I mean, the youth just didn't, youth had never seen this before. It wasn't like they were trying to do something. They were kind of like, there was two or three adults there, including myself, and they just had no idea what was happening. And um, I'd just been around a little bit longer, so I kind of knew what was happening. And, um, and so they were just like, is this God? What's happening? And I said, so let's just ask some questions. The easiest thing to do in this kind of situation is just ask some questions. So there was one particular girl that was just kind of shaking and her friends were around her and they were really worried, all this youth. And so I said to this girl, what's happening? And she said, Jesus is holding my hand. And I said, you know, how do you feel? And she goes, I feel wonderful. She said, Jesus is taking my hand. She says, I've had a particularly hard couple of years. And it's just been really painful. And he's just taken me bit by bit through each one of those. And he's just pouring love into my, he's just pouring love through my head into my heart. And I can just feel the fear and the anxiety leaving my body. And so I kind of turned to the youth and I just said, that's, that's good. Let's just ask for more God. And, uh, and, and so he was there and then there was somebody else who was kind of lying on the ground and he couldn't get up. And um, again, his friends were around and they're like, he can't get up, he can't get up. Is this good, is this bad? So I said, I'll just ask these questions. This will help you. So I said to the guy, you know, um, just, you know lad, he must have been about 15, 16. I said, what, what's, what's happening? And he goes, Jesus just sat next to me. And I said, what, what's he doing? He says, we're talking. He says, I've had a, you know, since I moved and went to secondary school, I've been bullied. And it just really hurt me, some of the words that people said about me. And so I said, what's Jesus doing now? And he says, oh, he's just telling me the truth about who I am. And then he just started crying and crying. And his friends were looking a bit nervous. And I said, oh, that looks good. And then about, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, uh, he was just laughing. and saying, what, what are you laughing about? And he says, gosh, Jesus is just telling me some jokes. And, uh, and, I, and I share those stories because for me, as I came, you know, I, had a, I got a couple of illustrations. But for me, that's what the presence of God coming can look like. It's, just, it's like when he comes and he heals and he restores. Stuff that could take ages and ages. They were hungry. They were pursuing. They were saying they wanted more God. And they didn't really know what they were asking for because when it turned up, they didn't know what to do about it. But God can do extraordinary things. When the presence of God, I've seen it here in this church. I remember once we were just doing worship. And there was a particular person who, who normally didn't stay around in worship. And they were just crying. Because they were experiencing the touch of God. And he was healing them. Some of the physical stuff can happen. About, I'm trying to remember, I was in Egypt. So it must be about five years ago. And one of my children broke my nose. Can I, you know, I got boys who wrestle. <laughs> And uh, I just wrestling, I got bit, anyway, he broke my nose. So it was a little bit, a little bit wonky. And, uh, and I was just in this place, and we were, there was just worship going on. And I could just sense, this, you know, if you haven't experienced this, it's hard to experience, but if you want it, come to the front later. But I could just sense the presence of God, and then suddenly I felt like electricity going through my no- nose. And my nose was clicked back into place. As far as I know, it looks fine now. <laughs> I don't look like I got up front of my nose. But that is the presence of God. When he turns up, he heals. 
He restores. Katie said I could share, Katie, my wife, said I could share this story where um, once she came to the front, and um, she came to the front for, she can't remember particularly why, but somebody just prayed and asked God's presence to come. And as the presence of God came, he took away a fear that she'd had for years. Many, many years ago when um, um, Sophie was born, so you're talking nearly 13 years ago, and um, Katie was rocking uh, in the early morning. If you're a mum, you'd be very aware of this, and then staying up with your children, just rocking your children, trying to get them to sleep. And she was in a, a window. She was leaning up against a window that had curtains on it, um, but also had a fire door was staying in somebody's house. And um, at that moment, somebody tried to break in right behind her. Uh, and for whatever reason, I don't totally understand the spiritual dynamic of this, and from that moment on, she'd get very anxious often at night, going to bed. If she heard a night, or you used to have this feeling every time, every night we'd go to bed, be like, have you locked the doors? Have you done this? And I'd go down and check them all. And if there was a noise, I had to go downstairs. You know, it's fine. Nobody's, nobody's there. And, um, and that day, um, it must be about six, seven years ago here, a good friend prayed for Katie. And the fear of God went. That is the presence of God coming. And when the presence of God comes, it doesn't just take stuff, it gives even more. Because the thing I love about the story um, of my wife Katie was, a few days later she, she woke up at night and she was thinking, am I anxious, am I scared? You know, was this just a temporary thing? And it was just coming up to Christmas and um, she goes, no, I'm at peace about it. And she turned to me and she goes, oh, I wonder if somebody's breaking in. Oh, wouldn't it be great if somebody was breaking in? That'd be fantastic. Because if they're breaking in at Christmas, it's because they're probably trying to find something, you know, some money or some presents that um, they need. It'd be great if they, if they break into our house. We can go down and we can sit with them. We can just pray for them because they must be quite desperate to be breaking in. And then we could just think about what, you know, what we could really help them maybe, find out what gifts they really want to give to the children or the family members. And then we could buy them. And that just blew my mind. It was like, that's the goodness of God. But when we encounter the presence of God, it's even more. And I could go on, I look at the time, and my time's going, so I've got to get rid of some stories. But bottom line is, when the presence of God comes, it's an amazing thing. And we need it for ourselves, and we need it for others. The phrase I love that I read at the end of Mark chapter 2, it says, People went away praising God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. That's what we need to hear more of. It's like, God, work in me, work in us as a church that we would bring our communities, our people that we interact with into the presence of God so that they would go away praising God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's what people would be doing on the Twitter feed. That's what people would be putting on their Facebook feeds. That's what people would be talking about over their lunch breaks. You know, we have never seen anything like this. So to kind of conclude this morning, we're talking about um, being with Jesus. And that can mean many various things, but for us this morning as I've been speaking, being with Jesus is being in his presence. Enjoying his presence, hungering for more of his presence. Not just for ourselves, but for our communities just to 
again just to reflect on and take away and, and chew over because I do like to ask questions. Who is God challenging us about bringing into his presence? What would that look like? Cost us. What or whom do we need to place at God's feet? You know that story, these four people broke that roof, they placed somebody at Jesus' feet. And I think God wants to do many things this morning. Firstly, I think it's an opportunity. Maybe you're a bit like me and you're just saying, I want more of God's presence. And I'm feeling pretty uh, dry and weary. And it's like, God, you know, like that fire again. You know, I can't remember the song you were singing, Dave, you know, um, fire fall down or something. It's like, yeah, God, fire fall down afresh on me. Set a fire in my heart again. That cannot be contained. That cannot be consumed. Do that again. And so in a minute, when the band comes up, David's going to come up in a minute um, with a band. He's going to lead us in, uh, in some songs. And that's going to be an opportunity, firstly, just to maybe respond like that. That might be where God wants you to respond. Maybe you've done it many times before, but like the sunflower, the sunflower every day is built into its genetics, but has that choice of facing towards the east. Saying, I want to encounter God's presence. And so there's an opportunity to do that. For some of you, there's just things that we need to place at God's feet. It might be an issue. It might be a fear. I've talked about different people's stories. You know, Katie's fear. It might be a fear. It might be an anxiety. It might be a person. Maybe when I was talking about that boy who had bullying, that maybe kind of hit sink in your heart, thinking, I, I was bullied for years. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're kind of a teenager now or you're into your 70s or 80s. You know, the effects of bullying can last a long time if it doesn't encounter the presence of God. Whatever in your life needs a touch from the presence of God, there's an opportunity this morning to kind of respond to that. David, can I get you to come up? I don't, Nicole, do you want to say anything? Or, um, but we have an opportunity this morning. Like I say, the, the Bible is an invitation. Those stories, an invitation. And so if you want to, Dave's finding the song, whatever. But we don't have to wait. If you want, you can start beginning to come down here. Again, if you're, uh, you'd call this church, uh, you're involved in some area in this church, we're going to need people to pray for you. So maybe some of you, again, um, you know, come to the front. So, if anything I talked about...